here. That's pretty good. If we could just get one more to come in. Maybe, maybe Brother Chad can go out in the highways and compel one more to come in. <laughs> Amen. We're so thankful to see you in the house of the Lord this morning. And uh, the wonderful presence of God is here. And uh, we're going to let Brother James come and break the bread of life to us. And uh, remember the service tonight at 6 o'clock. And uh, just come pray and believe in the Lord that God is going to help us. And he is helping us. He has marvelously helped us. I, I really believe that. And uh, so uh, uh, come on, Brother James. Good morning. I done forgot. I was going to change this mic cover. I don't believe you have cooties, Brother Philip, but just trying to be safe. <clears throat> well, it is good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. I know this. I appreciate the spirit of the Lord being in the house because we are nothing without him. And that, that's going to go for the next 30 minutes as well. So if the Lord doesn't help us, then we're just here wasting time spinning wheels, listening to something that doesn't affect us. But if God will come in the house, and lives can be touched and helped. If you want to turn to Job chapter 2, I'll do my best this morning. <clears throat> Brother David Eldridge preached so well to us. And a, a couple times he mentioned this little bit that I'm going to read to you. I don't even remember his context, where, why he was mentioning it, but when he mentioned it in his preaching it stuck to me twice that the Lord had helped me or dealt with me about this and so I'm going to bring it to you this morning with the Lord's help I want to talk to you about the lies the devil will tell you the lies the devil will tell you Job chapter 2 and verse 9 then said his wife unto him talking about Job Job's wife said unto him dost thou still retain thine integrity curse God and die. Curse God and die. Now we know this story well, and I hope I can get my point across here in a second. We know this story well. Job loses all of his possessions. He loses all of his children. He is reduced to a broken man sitting on a rubbish heap, scraping his sores. And sometimes I think we kind of forget that Job's wife went through the same thing. She lost all of her possessions. She lost all of her children, and she was witnessing her husband sitting there in an ash heap just scraping his boils. When Satan plants this thought in her mind, and she voices this thought to Job, and the thought is just curse God and die. When everything is gone, family, possession, literally everything is gone. He is in severe physical pain. Satan offers what seems like a reasonable end to the situation he's in. Just curse God and die. Just in the physical pain, in the emotional pain, the suffering, just curse God and die. But I want to tell you this morning, that, that is a whopping yet sneaky lie. That is a whopping lie from the devil. Curse God and die. As if cursing God would automatically end the physical and the emotional pain and Job could just die. Just because you curse God does not mean that you can just give up, roll over, and die. Boils are very painful, I understand. But generally they are not deadly. And we know that life and death is in God's hands. 
God was in control of Job's life, not Satan. God was in control of Job's life, not even Job himself. So what Satan wanted was for Job to curse God. But he snuck in that little part there to make it feel so much better. Curse God and die. Because we know Satan really did not care about Job's emotions or his physical pain. What he wanted was for him to give up on his God. And the solution was to say, curse God and then die. Get out of your pain. Let death end it all for you. But did you know that you can't just die when you want to? My grandmother, she was so precious. My mom's mom is the only grandmother I really knew. All the rest of them were either dead before I was born. My grandpa's and my one grandmother was dead before I was born. Or they died when I was very, very young. But she was so precious. But when she got older, she had several strokes. She had several heart attacks. She had severe diabetes. And they amputated one of her legs and she went blind. So she's laying there blind, bedridden, agonizing from the the phantom pains in her leg that didn't even exist anymore. And she begged God, please just let me die. But she couldn't die. You don't get to die when you want to die. Oh, Job, just curse God and die, she says. But that was just a big lie from the devil that said, this will get you out of your pain. Just curse God and then die. But it doesn't work that way because you understand, Satan was not in control of of, of Job's life. God was in control of Job's life. Job wasn't even in control of Job's life. So look at Satan's insinuation here. Job, if you will just curse God, all of your emotional and your physical pain will be over. You can just die and it will all be over as if Job could just turn the switch. But that is not how it works. That is not how it works. As if death would be better than the life that he was currently living. But God is the one that was in control of Job's life. You understand this morning, Satan is not omniscient. He is not all-knowing. He did not know God's plan for Job. So he tells Job what seems like a reasonable conclusion. But it was really just a big whopping lie. Satan wants us in pain and suffering not just in this life, but for all eternity in hell. But you understand, Satan is not omnipotent. He is not all-powerful. He was offering something to Job that he had no authority over. He was offering something to Job that he could not give Job. You understand, he had to get permission from God just to give Job boils. So Satan was trying to offer something to Job that he had no authority over, no power over. He was trying to give him permission to die. But he had no power or authority to override it. Because God told Satan, Satan, do what you want to with him, but you save his life. God was the one in control. Satan would have us think that he controls our life and that he controls our death. But he is not omnipotent. He is not all-powerful. He is not all-knowing. He is not. Look through the book of Job. When you look through the book of Job, God does not really respond to Satan because of his lies here. Even when Job's comforters come to him or his so-called friends come to him, God does not really respond to Satan in the way we might would think because Satan knew his position. He had already been to the throne of God for, for, for permission, and God said, you can do what you want to, but you can't touch his life. You understand what I'm saying this morning? If Satan was in control... He would not have gone to God in the first place to get permission. So God does not respond to Satan. What God does is God responds to Job. And in Job chapter 38, 39, and 40, God comes to Job and he presents him with over 80 questions. If you look at it, 
over 80 questions. Questions about the power and the authority of creation. Questions about heaven and earth and the stars and about sustaining life on earth. And Job can't answer them. Question after question. But what God is doing, God is telling Job that God, I am God. Job, I am God. I am sovereign. I am the omnipotent God of the universe. I am the giver and the sustainer of life. And nobody can answer my questions. Not even Satan. So God makes it quite clear to Job that Job, his life does not depend upon himself. His life and his death does not depend upon Satan. God is the one that was in control. So just curse God and die. It was a big, fluffy lie. Just curse God and die. You understand what I'm saying this morning? I'm talking about lies the devil will tell you. Thankfully, Job did not fall for Satan's lie. He did not fall for Satan's lie. But I've got a question for you this morning. How many of you has Satan been lying to? How many of you, even maybe during the week of revival, whispered in your ear or even told half-truths or cleverly disguised lies, taking our human vulnerability to propagate his lies? 2 Corinthians 11 and 3, Paul said, But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity That is in Christ. Paul says, I'm afraid some of you are going to get beguiled. The subtlety of Satan is going to get to your mind and you are going to be corrupted. Paul goes on to say in that same chapter in verse 14 that Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. You see, Satan is a master deceiver. And he will use subtlety to corrupt our salvation, our life with Jesus Christ with lies. As you know, I like numbers, and I like math, and I like statistics. So I found this article by a a professor at Texas A&M University that I found very interesting. He's a professor in in engineering, but he's also a Sunday school teacher. And he posted on his page this this article, and the title of the article is The Half-Truths of Satan in Scripture. The Half-Truths truths of Satan in scripture and so in this article he goes through the fall of Adam and in Eve in Genesis chapter 3 and he finds that Satan uses 18 words that are true but 21 words that are a lie so 46% of what Satan said to Eve was true but 54% was a lie For example, in the first five verses of Genesis chapter 3, Satan basically tells Eve, if you eat of the fruit, you'll know good and evil, and you'll be equal to God. And it it just struck me yesterday when when I was looking at this, that it, it sounds good, but it's a lie. And it's almost like saying if you eat a Big Mac, you're going to be Ronald McDonald. It doesn't work that way. It might sound good, but it does not work that way. The professor, he went on to analyze Job chapters 1 and 2 where Satan comes to God and he talks about Job. And he found that 56 of 117 words were the truth. So only 48% of Satan's words were true. The other 52% were lies. 
when Satan comes to tempt Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, 46% of what Satan says is true, but 54% are lies. The same account in Luke, 44% are true, 56% are lies. Satan is an expert at putting little bits of truth in there to convince you of a lie. Just curse God and you will die. All of your suffering and your pain will be over. Pretty convincing lie, but it was just a lie. Job didn't fall for it. The apostle Paul said, but I'm concerned. I'm afraid that what Satan would like to do is he could convince you by using lies or or half-truths to convince you in your mind and undermine the gospel of Jesus Christ. Think about the lie of evolution. We use scientific wrangling. We use elaborate theories to try to explain away how God could have created everything with, with His Word. How many young people have fallen away from, from faith in Jesus Christ and God because they were taught and they believed a lie about hum, how humans came into being? It is a lie. A cleverly contrived lie to lead us away from the simplicity of Jesus Christ. He spoke it with His Word. I was thinking the other day when Brother David was talking about the stars. He made the stars also. And it reminded me of a, of a person that I had read about. And this, the, this person is saying that he was arguing with one of his students. It was a professor. I like professor stories for some reason. He was arguing with one of his students. And one of his students was saying, well, God couldn't have done that. Or why didn't God just do it in one day? Or even a moment. If he could have spoke it. Why didn't he just speak it in one day? He said, God chose to use six. That's why. He could have done it all in one word, but he chose to use six. He chose to put in there the stars also. The moon and the sun and the stars also. So Satan would like us to believe cleverly contrived lies. And I believe I'm talking to somebody here this morning. Maybe you're at home and the devil has been lying to you. He's been telling you things that aren't true. Now down here in the Clinch River, there are freshwater mussels down here in the Clinch River. And they're amazing creatures. Their their baby larvae are called glycidia. They're about a quarter of a millimeter long and they look about like a grain of sand. But these little bivalves, they have little hooks on their their valve or on their, the, the bivalve. So they're... They're like a clam. They have little hooks on those shells. And they actually attach to the gills of a fish as larvae. And that's where they get their nourishment for a couple months. And then they transform into young adults. They drop off, go into the sediment, and they complete their life cycle in the sediment. And they become adults. But the interesting part about it is, how in the world do they get attached to a fish's gill? Well, scientists started studying this. They knew the life cycle, but they started studying how in the world do they get attached to the gill. And here's what the mother does with her larva. Once they're in larval stage, these glycidia, she she opens her shell up and she has little flaps inside of her shell that she displays out of her shell. And she starts wiggling those little flaps and they look like a fish. Go, Go Google Go Google it sometimes. Some of the pictures of freshwater mussel displays. 
and it looks like a little fish. Some of them look like a little fish, depending on the host species. Some of them will look like a worm. Some of them will look like a crayfish. Some of them are even iridescent. And the point is what happens is uh, the host fish thinks that there's a little minnow there that looks so delicious. And he's going to come in and he's going to eat that. But what happens is it gets a mouthful of parasitic glycidia that then attached to his gills. Some of them even go so far as to when they display that, it looks like little eyes of a fish. It has little fins that look like a fish. And when it's in the water column, I've seen them do it on video. Just display it. Oh, actually, I take that back. I have seen them do it in live person. I've just forgot. When I was doing muscle work at Virginia Tech in Tennessee, I saw them actually displaying while we were snorkeling, collecting mussels. And they were displaying. It was an interesting, very interesting sight. But they'll, it looks so real. Some of them go as far as to even clamp on the fish and inject the glycidia onto the gills. And once it's all done, they release them. It looks so good, but it is nothing but a lie. The parasites are going to attach to their gills. Do you understand what I'm telling you this morning? Satan makes it look so good. He washes it over with half-truths, but it is nothing but a lie. Now, I'm paraphrasing here, but Jesus said in John 8 and 44 that there is no truth in the devil. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own language because he is a liar and he is the father of them. Satan's nature is to lie. You know how you know if Satan's lying? He's opening his mouth. Now, he may mingle it with part-truths or or half-truths or sugar-coated, but it's still a lie. And I want somebody to know here this morning, Satan is lying in your ear. Satan is telling you lies. You know how I know it's happening to you? It's happening to me. Even in the middle of revival, Satan would whisper lies in my ears. Have you heard it? God doesn't love you as much as he loves them. Look how prosperous they are. Look at all the trouble you're in. Look at the cancer. Look at the problems. Look at the death in your family. Look at the financial ruin you're in. God can't love you as much as he has a lie of the devil. You understand what I'm saying? It's a lie of the devil. You are alone. You are isolated. Maybe you are quarantined. You're helpless. You're defenseless. You're vulnerable. It's a lie from Satan. And I believe that there are some people who are hearing Satan tell them lies. Satan would like you to to know that you're alone and that your loneliness is unique to you and nobody understands what you're going through. It's a lie. It's a lie. It may seem all clever and it may tickle your fancy, but it's a lie. Do you understand what I'm saying this morning? Nobody cares about the struggle in your mind. It's only in your mind. You know the reason you struggle in your mind? You're just a weak Christian. That's a lie from hell. Satan doesn't have to tell a weak Christian they're a weak Christian. He only has to tell the strong saint of God that you're a weak Christian. I feel the unction of the Holy Ghost to tell somebody you're listening to the lies of Satan. I tell you, you're not... You're not as important in the kingdom of God. People are tired of seeing you shout. People are tired of of hearing you testify. People are tired of seeing you run. You're no longer effective. The way you felt in revival was just you. 
You're just a hypocrite. You didn't, you're not spiritual enough to shout that way. You didn't pray enough in order to pray with other people that way. Everybody just thinks you're trying to be Mr. Spiritual and Sister Show Off. You understand what I'm saying? How come you don't get anointed like he gets anointed when you testify? It's a lie from the devil. How come they don't shout it down when you sing? It's a lie from the devil. God is no longer active or interested in you in your daily life because the evil is all around us. The world is so bad, God has withdrawn himself. It's a lie. It is a lie. God no longer answers prayer. What a lie. What a lie. God doesn't care about you individually, your circumstances, or what you're facing right now. It's a lie. It's a lie. It's a lie. That's what, now is a great time to be afraid. It's a lie. You can't trust God or His plan or His purpose for your life. Coronavirus can take you out before it's your time. That's a lie. That's a lie. Do you understand what I'm saying? That is a lie. God, God loves you. But he doesn't love you as much as he loves that person because look what you're going through and look how prosperous they are. Sounds a little bit good. God loves you. We know God loves us, but he loves them just a little bit more. Look how much better they're doing right now. They haven't lost their job. They're still driving nice cars. Nobody in their family's sick. Their mom hasn't died. God doesn't love me as much as he loves It's a lie. It is a lie. Have you heard this one? No one's perfect. No one's ever been perfect except Jesus Christ. You're never going to be perfect. You're far from perfect. Why are you trying so hard? It's a lie. It is a lie mixed with a little bit of truth, but it is a lie. Colossians 2 and 14, the Apostle Paul said, Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us. You see... Satan had presented his case against us. He had, he had presented it with completeness and finality. We were guilty. We were guilty. And we had no money to pay our sin debt. The evidence was plain. It was clear. We were guilty. The just sentence was death. But Paul says, he took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Nailing it to his cross. Except for our elder brother, we would be dead. We are guilty of sin. We don't have the price to pay for it. But you see, at Calvary, Jesus, the very Son of God, he died. And Satan thought that he had won the victory. When the, the bleeding, broken body of Jesus Christ was, was on the cross... And the father had to turn his back after sin, after sin was packed upon Jesus' shoulders. Satan thought he had won. He thought, I have grasped humanity now. But you see, those principalities and powers. Look at verse 15. And having spoiled principalities and powers he made a show of them openly triumphing over them in nailing it to the cross 
he triumphed over Satan, over principalities and powers when he was nailed to the cross. As the stone was rolled in front of the tomb, Satan probably had the biggest head he's ever had of pride, but, but he thought he had won. But let me tell you, on that third day, Jesus rose from the grave and he gave us victory over hell and over death and over sin. The principalities and the powers were put to open shame. The power of sin, the power of darkness, the power of death, the sting of death was taken away. The victory of the grave was removed when Jesus rose from the grave. I'm telling you this morning, by the authority of Jesus Christ, we can tell Satan, shut it up, devil. I don't believe your lies. No way. I like the story of this zookeeper. There was a wild cat, and he opened, there was a visitor there watching. He opened the door. He just sauntered in with all he had was his broom. He just started sweeping. All he had was a broom, no weapons, no nothing. He got over to where that wild cat was, popped a little bit, it hissed at him, and then it ran off to the next corner. There was a person watching him. He said, How in the world is that? He asked the keeper, he said, do you have some other protection on you? He said, no. He said, you must be the bravest man in the world. He said, I'm not. He said, well, then that must be a tame cat. He said, trust me, it's not a tame cat. He said, how in the world? I keep her laughed a little bit while he's sweeping. He said, he's old and he ain't got no teeth. <laughs> Satan is as a roaring lion, but he ain't no lion. He may masquerade as a lion, but he is no lion. He may deceive us and try to trick us like a lion would do, but Satan is no lion. You see, the lion of the tribe of Judah has conquered Satan. Satan is defeated. You do not have to listen to his lies. Sister Sandy, you don't have to listen to his lies. You are a born-again child of the Heavenly Father. He shed his blood for you, and Satan is defeated. The only reason he's attacking you is he knows he loses. Satan does not win. I am a born again child of God. I have been infused with the truth of God. And Satan, you're a liar. Shut up. Satan has no authority over your life or your death. You are in God's hand as a believer of Jesus Christ. You are in God's hand. 1 John 3 and 8. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested that He might destroy the works of the devil. That He might obliterate the works of the devil. As a born again believer, we do not have to sit there and listen to the devil on our shoulder. You do not have to believe the lies that Satan tells you. It's amazing. Even in the middle of revival... Satan would jump up on my shoulder. He would. And when Brother David said that, I don't even remember what he was talking about. He wasn't really preaching on Job, but he said something about curse God and die. And I thought, well, that's just a big lie. You can't just curse God and roll over and die. You don't get to die. when you... Satan was feeding him a lie. And it made me think, Satan is feeding you lies. Satan would like you to think, you'll never make it, David. That's right. But it's a lie. That's right. It's a lie. That's right. 
Come and sing this morning. I'm a born again child of God. My elder brother is Jesus Christ. He paid the sin debt. I don't have to listen to the devil. You see, when we call on the name of Jesus, Satan is demasked. He may come to you as an angel of light. But when you call on the all-powerful, all-knowing name of Jesus. You see, Satan does not have the authority. Jesus has the authority. And when you call on your elder brother, Satan has to flee. Demons have to flee at the name of Jesus. So I learned in the last four weeks, one thing I learned is that when Satan comes to me telling me something, that just lets me know I'm on the right track. Because every time he opens his mouth, it's a lie. Every time he opens his mouth, it's a lie. So when he comes to me, I know I'm on the right track. I know we're in the middle of revival when Satan starts plaguing us. But what I learned was, when I start calling out on Jesus... When I say, Jesus, I love you. You know I love you. Satan had to flee. Those thoughts that were taking my human vulnerabilities and blowing them up, they had to flee when I called out the name of Jesus. But you know that's your answer. Even if you are home, alone, quarantined, feeling vulnerable, feeling afraid, that's exactly the lies Satan is telling you. But you're a born-again child of God. Your sins are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so you have authority to say, Satan, shut up. I don't believe your lies. No way. Go pick on somebody else. I'm fixing to be in the presence of God because I'm going to call his name. And Satan, you have no authority over me or my life or even my death. Sing. Satan is as a roaring lion, but he's no lion. He may roar, but he's got no bite. I believe it was you that told that story or something about him. He can bark, but he cannot bite. He can bark, he can tell you all he wants to, but he has no control over your life. Let's come in and pray this morning. If Satan's been whispering in your ears, Come up here and call on the name of Jesus. Say, Jesus, I love you. You know I love you. And that'll put Satan to flee. Come on this morning. Come on, let's pray. If you're home alone, Satan is whispering in your ears. You're alone. You're, you're vulnerable. You just tell Satan, I've got the blood of Jesus Christ applied to my life. You have no authority or place or power in my home. There's a goal line we must cross. Satan was defeated when my sins were nailed to the cross. Satan was defeated. So it's Shall be mine, 
Let the Lord fight the battles. If I sing and shout, have faith and never doubt, it shall be mine. refreshing service this morning and uh, those of you that are home watching uh, I trust that you have been strengthened and encouraged as much as we are here and uh, uh, we so appreciate his blessing upon us and uh, uh, let me say again Sister Sandy y'all missed it but we have a new 
married couple here in service this morning, Cedric and Caitlin Mitchum. And, uh, and they have come to be with us. And so we want to, them to know that they are welcome with us, are they not? And uh, so uh, uh, we're so appreciative of the Lord's blessings upon us. Remember service tonight at 6 o'clock. And uh, you go home and rest and uh, pray and seek the face of the Lord. And the Lord bless you and keep you till we meet again. Stand with us, please, and let's worship the Lord together. Our Father, we bless the name of Jesus Christ for your goodness and mercy to us. Oh, God, we thank you. We thank you that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And the devil has come to kill, steal, and destroy. We thank you for the wonderful words of life that Brother James brought to us this day. I pray that they will be strength and encouragement to every one of us. Oh, bless the church. Keep us and lead us and guide us. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Amen.